Good morning, everyone. It was probably about 10 years ago that a neighbor friend of mine stopped by my house and she told me the sad news that her grandmother had died. Now, this was a very, very close family and this was just shockingly bad news for, for my friend. The next day, she stopped over at my house and she said, uh, my grandma's wake is on Tuesday and I'd really love it if you and Brandy could come. So, of course, I, I told her that we'd be there. We drove about 40 minutes to the wake and we got there and nothing seemed unusual at all. It was just what you find when people are grieving together. Some people were standing over in a corner looking at pictures and other people were reminiscing. Some were laughing. Some had tear-stained faces, which just shows how much love there was in the room. After hanging out with our friends for about an hour or so, Suddenly, my neighbor friend came up to me with a microphone, and in front of the whole group of people there, she said, Pastor Neil, would you say a few words? Now, here's the thing. Pastors are rarely short on words, but that day, it really got me. I didn't have a whole lot to say. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge, and I just want to say that we are so glad to have you join us this morning. We're finishing our series today called The Table. It's been about the physical tables in our lives, where we sit down and eat meals with each other, but it's also been about the proverbial tables in our lives, where significant things happen in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. As much as we would at times like to separate our relationship with God and our relationship with people, if you just read even a little bit of the Bible, you see pretty quickly that you actually can't do that. Jesus made this inextricable link between the love of God and the love of others. And the witness of all of the authors of Scripture confirms it. Like in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we're told simply that whoever does, not love, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? The love that we say we have for God isn't actually love if we don't love the other people that God has made to be with us. Uh, just a week ago, Brandy shared a great message that was meant largely for those of us who are already in the faith. She tackled the importance of uh, it, us being an invitational people, people that want, other, want to spend time with others as we connect with the Lord. This week, I'm going to change our focus a little bit, and, and we're going to look at the importance of connecting with people outside of the church people outside of the church that are maybe looking in at us and wondering if they might take a step towards this Jesus that we say is worth following. For some of you watching this today, um, my guess is that you were told that if you just came to Jesus, then your marriage would do a turnaround. And maybe it didn't. Some of you were told that if you just gave $100, that God would give you tenfold back. Maybe that didn't happen. Some of you were told that if you could just take parts of Jesus that you want, you could just apply certain parts of the Bible and ignore the others and just sort of sprinkle it throughout your life as you saw fit. 
And I know this, that if you did any of those things and it didn't work out the way you were told, there's a good chance you were left a little bit disillusioned. Maybe you thought that this Jesus thing didn't work for you, even though maybe it worked for some of your friends and you're a little confused. So here's the thing. Today, we want to be extremely clear with you. We want to be extremely clear about what you are being invited into by the God of all creation. We don't want you to be disillusioned by what you might think of as a spiritual bait and switch. We want to give you all of the information because if we don't, it's no good for anyone. It's a game that's unwinnable. So in our time today, I want to talk about what makes the invitation of Jesus and to Jesus very special. And here's our first thought today. The invitation of Jesus is unique. The invitation of Jesus is unique. I've heard people say, and my guess is you have too, you've heard people say things like, all roads lead to God. And that if you're just sincere in your belief, it doesn't matter what you call God. I mean, it's like he'll answer to anything. I've also heard people say things that almost like this, if you were born into a family that believes, that's enough for God too. And I see why people want to believe those things. It sounds nice. It would be great if we got to choose our path and somehow we all ended up in the same place and it was okay because God's just like, hey, whatever you want it to be because you get to, des- you get to design your life. But that isn't how life works. According to the Bible, we have to pay attention to uh, something that isn't all about us. It's about something greater than us. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, a group of Jews were angered about Jesus' claims. So we're going to read John chapter 8, starting in verse 39 and going to verse 42. Abraham is our father, they answered. So this group of Jews was saying, they were saying, we're in the faith because Abraham was the father of our faith. So we're his kids. And then Jesus responded, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Jesus was saying, Listen, you aren't just automatically in the faith because you had some important ancestors who were. Same goes for us today. Just because some of your relatives were Christians, it doesn't make you a Christian. As one of my favorite pastors told me one time, he said, Neil, you can walk into a garage and wish you were a car all day long, but it doesn't make you one. And then in an even more specific way, Jesus explained to his disciples that they don't need to know the the, the physical way to heaven. All they need to know is him. John chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Like as humans, we want to do it all on our own. We want to be good enough. We want to earn our way here on earth and into the next life. The truth is most of the major world religions teach some version of just that. So it really gels with people. Only Christianity says that there is no way to be good enough. Let me make that very clear. There is nothing that you can do or I can do or any of us on planet Earth can do to be good enough for God to say, ah, you did enough good things that outweigh the bad. Welcome in to paradise. There's nothing. There's only one way, according to the Bible. And it's to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. And he promises that if you do that, he will save you. But this offer is contingent upon you and me owning up to what we've done. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So you know what that means? You screwed up, and so did I. And that means that the playing field is completely level. You don't have more favor with God if you are rich instead of poor. And you also don't have more favor with God if you're poor instead of rich. And the color of your skin doesn't matter. God wants everyone. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or olive-skinned or Asian. All people are welcome to partake in this redemption that Jesus offers. Every single person. I've heard people say that Christianity is arrogant and it's exclusive. I'd say this, it is the most radically inclusive, exclusive group ever. I'll say that again. I believe it's the most radically inclusive, exclusive group ever. And here's what I mean. Yes, the road is narrow. It is very specific. Jesus says he is the only way. That's what makes him exclusive. He's the only way, one way, not other ways, not other roads but he invites each person. So you have the choice and I have the choice to decide to walk on the road that God has set before us. So the invitation of Jesus is unique, but the invitation of Jesus is also very genuine. So sometimes we think there's one way that means, ah, he's looking, he's, he wants to get us in trouble. No, no, he genuinely loves you. The invitation of Jesus is unique. You know what that means? I, I thought about that this week. God is your biggest fan. He is your biggest fan. Your picture, if there's a refrigerator in heaven, your picture is on God's refrigerator. He loves you. And I'm going to say this too, and this might sound weird to you, but he likes you too. He loves you. You know how there are family members that you just say, hey, I love these family members, these extended family members, that crazy uncle, that, that strange aunt. You're just like, I love these family members, but I don't always really like them when we have to spend a lot of time together. Listen, that's, that's part of being human. We wrestle with relationships. But God loves you and he likes you. He wants to spend time with you. I, I know it blows me away too, but he is your biggest fan. I can't tell you how many times I've had to counter ideas that are wrong about what God thinks about people. I've officiated a ton of weddings and funerals where someone will come into the church and I can tell, like, I've never seen that person before. And I, I'll always try to have a conversation like, hey, what, like, uh, do you go to a church? Like, you're here. Thanks for being here. But like, are you connected to a church? And a lot of times people will say something like this. Hey, pastor, you don't want me in your church. 
And this is almost like they say this almost every time. Because if I come here, the roof is going to fall down on all of us. And, and you know what that says? That, that basically says, what that person's really saying is like, I'm bad enough, God doesn't want me, and I'm going to bring judgment on your church if I even set foot in your church. And that just tells me that there's so many people that have these wrong ideas about what God really thinks of them. He doesn't just love you and tolerate you. He loves you and likes you and wants to spend time with you. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, two of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. You see it in the end zone of all the NFL games and a lot of times in the college games. We know this passage, but I think it's hard for us to internalize it but it expresses this boundless and genuine love that God has for all people. Verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. In other words, he's not out to get you. Then it says this, but to save the world through him. That sounds to me like a God who wants his kids to come home, not a God who is looking for a clause to exclude anyone. This is the whole theme of Scripture, that God wants to be with us. I love what the Apostle Peter told some of the churches that were having a hard time understanding why Jesus hadn't returned yet. Um, maybe you've seen different groups of, of people trying to predict when Jesus is coming back. I, I've seen people say, well, this generation's the worst. And, and this is like, we have all these signs that God's coming back. Well, here's a newsflash. Every single generation has thought that it's their generation that Jesus is going to return. The Jews in the first century were no different. They were confused. They thought Jesus was going to return immediately. But we see that God's time is not like our time. But listen, listen to what Peter said to them. 2 Peter, verses three, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And this is the important part. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It, it, parenthetically, that's to return. He says, as some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is for every single one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. He wants you to turn to him and come home. He is patient with us. He's patient with us when we shake our fist at him. He's patient with us when we are, I, I, saw, I, I saw a video of a nurse saying that she has been so worn out from this pandemic and because she hasn't had any rest that she's like, I have yelled at God, I have cried, I've prayed, I've done all these things. And I wanted to say, and you are in great company with people over the centuries that have done the same thing, like King David in all the Psalms, so much emotion, and God is not mad at you. He is not mad at you when you are real with him. He still loves you and he's for you when you ignore him and, and you continue to want to hurt him with your selfishness. He still wants to be with you. And to top it all off, 
James, the brother of Jesus, he, he shared what motivated Jesus to come to earth and, and to live out this perfect life and to die for us, to be betrayed and to be beaten by the very people he came to rescue and to be mocked and spit on and, and to hang on the cross and ultimately to suffocate and die. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And then it says this. This is the important part of the passage for us today. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What joy is there in walking towards death and being mocked and beaten? What joy was it? It just looked like a cruel death sentence. I mean, we call something Good Friday. What's good about Good Friday? Well, here's what it is. It looked like a death sentence, but to the eyes of God, to the eyes of Jesus, it looked like loving his children all the way home. The invitation of Jesus is rooted in a genuine love for you. Here's our final thought today. The invitation of Jesus is truthful. The invitation of Jesus is truthful. Have you noticed that it's human nature to push boundaries? It shouldn't be any surprise that I think even with our connection with God, we sort of want to push boundaries like, hey, how much should we give to the church? How much do we have to give to the church? Or, you know, how much should I serve? Or how much do I have to serve? What, what do I need to do to be good with God? Can I do that and still be good with God? We, uh, we just want to push boundaries. Sometimes we think this, well, if we're all sinners and we all fall short of the grace of God, then maybe it actually doesn't really matter how we act or how we live. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered, like, how far can I deviate from this plan that God has for me and still be one of his? The Apostle, the Apostle Paul spoke to that line of thinking in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. Now here's the thing. If you try to make Christianity or any faith that you're practicing this transactional kind of religion, it makes sense to do just what it takes to get in. But here is the truth of the invitation of Jesus. Jesus didn't die so that anyone could kind of have this get out of hell free card. That might sound really crass, but there are people who just want to like have enough Jesus to stay out of hell. But I don't believe that is a faith that honors God, and I don't think that's going to be a faith that's satisfying to you either. He died for you out of his deep love for you to change you into the person that he created you to be and to be in relationship with him. If you are thinking about following Jesus by just giving him some sort of mental assent and you don't have any desire to follow him, then I'm going to be really straightforward with you. This faith isn't going to be for you. 
because you're going to be just playing a game and that's not a game with any winners. James, the brother of Jesus, said this about just having belief, like the mental assent. James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he said, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. He says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What he's saying is, you, you could hear that and you could be a little bit scared, like, uh-oh, is, am I supposed to be scared? Like, where, where do I find my footing in this faith? I don't think this should scare you away. Remember, God is for you. But that passage helps sort of set our minds on, on what an authentic belief in Jesus looks like. And it's not just to believe that he is the Son of God. It is more than that. It leads to actions that show your faith. When your belief in Jesus is authentic, you will want to do things that honor him and to love others well. My friend, Pastor Fran, years ago, sort of helped me understand this. He said, God wants us to develop roots first and then we'll have fruit. He said, root, then fruit. I love that. He said, if you have the right belief, the right actions are going to come through the fruit of your life. You don't have to try to bear this fruit. It is going to happen because your root is in the one who will bear fruit. Maybe today you've never actually had someone invite you to God's table. Or maybe you've gotten a confusing invitation and you're a little bit disillusioned today. If that's the case, let me be the first one. Let me be very clear with you today. God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. He just does. And it's all based on his offer to you. He did the work. All you have to do is turn away from sin. You just say, hey, I'm letting go of this way that I, I've tried to live. It has not worked. I have hurt people. I have hurt myself. I have hurt God. And then turn to the one who died to make a way for you to come home. Here's how you do that. About 2,000 years ago, a group of Jews uh, came to this guilty feeling conviction after the Apostle Peter shared with them about what they had done to the very one Jesus who had come to save them. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that they were cut to the heart. In other words, they felt deeply. They, they were sad from what Peter was saying and they believed it. And then they said, so what do we need to do to be saved? And the answer 2,000 years ago is the same answer today and it'll be the same answer to the very end of time when Jesus returns and all things are made new. And it's this. It's found in two verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He did the work. All you have to do is turn to him and receive it. If you want to take this step, I would love to help you do that. Email me and, and let me know so that I can celebrate with you now all the way into eternity. If you are praying that for the first time, if you are turning your life over to Jesus through repentance and you want to be baptized, reach out so we can help you do that. But I want to welcome you 
to the table of the Lord. In just a minute, we're going to close with worship, but we've got a few questions for you to consider in your house churches and your community groups or wherever you gather with people this week. The first one is this. More than 60% of born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are all valid paths to salvation. And over 30% say they either believe that Jesus sinned like other people when he lived on earth or aren't sure, according to a new study. The question I have for you is, why do you think that is? Second question is this. Some of us have a hard time believing that God really likes us. If you are willing, share your own personal views on that and how you came to that place. Final question is, the God of the Bible offers us heaven and he doesn't pull punches when it comes to what's true. Is it easier for you to believe or to do good deeds? And explore that question with whoever you gather with this week. God bless you. We'll see you next week.